0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: If your restaurant wants to put the best on the table, look for food with the New York State certified seal. It's food that is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. You're
2: listening to Heritage Radio Network.
3: Hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and welcome to 2017. It's the start of a new year here at Heritage and everywhere in the world. <laughs> so thanks for joining us again. And um, we are I'm really excited to kick off this year with a really great guest. Um, her name is Trina Hahnemann. She is one of the greatest Scandinavian food experts, writers, chefs, um, At least in my opinion, she is one of the best food writers out there. And I'm really excited to have her on the show to talk about her latest book, Scandinavian Comfort Food. Hi, Trina. How are you? Hi. Thanks (laughs) for having me. All right. Well, congrats on your latest book. It's your third book, right? Or you had Scandinavian uh, Cooking, which is one of my favorites. Um, And then there was a Nordic Diet. Um, This one is called Scandinavian Comfort Food. And the subtitle is Embracing the Art of Hygge. Am I pronouncing that yeah. right, first of all? <laughs> I'm really trying. Uh, almost. You're almost there. Okay. Hygge. 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 Oh, okay. One yeah. more syllable. Yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, this is really uh, a term that is kind of elusive here in the States. We don't have an exact translation of it. So um but it has actually been a little bit buzzy lately. I've been seeing it uh come up in articles here and there, especially now that it's the winter time. So uh as I understand it, hygge is a sense, if you can be really uh, concise, it's a sort of sense of coziness, but it's a bit more than that, right? Uh Yeah, I mean, you-
4: first of all, the word is embedded in our culture in a different way. We use the word all the time. We just don't, We oh, is the thing, but we use the word hugli for yeah. a lot of things that we, hyggly, yeah, mm-hmm. for, a, for a lot of things that we do. So we describe a lot of things during the day or every day as being hyggelig or not mm-hmm. being hyggelig. So in a way, way it's all—it's a way of really defining our culture. Um, and we are a nation of people, or especially in Denmark, which is where it is used the most in that sense, um, who loves to hang out at home mm-hmm. and have it hyggelig, which of course also incorporates a lot of food and, and drink, drinks, mm-hmm. both hot and cold and alcohol. So it's more than an idea, and I think it's a bit more than coziness. But all cultures yeah. kind of have it. We just we just have it a lot, you know. I mean, we do. We the way things really like if you can create moments of hygge every day. Mm-hmm. Also, in, it, it's not only a Sunday thing. Let's you know you know postpone the whole thing until Sunday. So it, to kind of nail it down, it's about. Creating these little breaks and moments during the day, where you kind of feel present, where you sit down and have that cup of coffee with right. a good friend, or with a bunch of uh, old friends or family, or just by yourself with the newspaper, and you, you know, make sure to lit the candles and make, you know, make the atmosphere just a little bit more special.
3: Mm-hmm. And I, I lament how un-New York it <laughs> okay, seems to be, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm, yeah. I'm trying yeah, I here. Mean it, yeah. it, and, yeah.
4: Thinking about sitting around a table with everybody has their iPhone in their hand, looking at it while they're talking and having a drink, that is not hygge. Mm-hmm. So, it's, you know, it's like the opposite of that. It has to be a certain present
3: yeah. right there. And I love that there's a word in uh, Danish that is like anti-hygge, right? Uh, you can describe something as What What is that word? Uh, anti-hygge. We have something called uhyggeligt. Uh-huh. Which is just the U in front. But uhuklid
4: is not the anti word. It's really scary.
3: Oh, scary. That's I scary. see. Okay. So,
4: yeah, it's scary. Creepy. So, you would say if you see like a thriller, it's uhuklid. Mm. So, it's a bit, it's not really, the, you know, the opposite, but it mm. could be what then we all, we're more over like in the scary department. So. Mm.
3: nervous, antsy. Okay.
4: <laughs> yeah, so the antsy is always not uhuklid. But there's a lot of, if you know, like, it has lots to do with the home culture. Mm-hmm. And you can. And I think when we talk about the Scandinavian and, and, you know, Noma being this famous restaurant in Copenhagen, I think actually one of the things that René Rezepi really did was he made going out to a Michelin star kind of restaurant, it, mm-hmm. And that has not been seen. That's one of the really big things he did. He took off the tablecloth. He put, you know, skins and candles and dark, you know, lightning and very convivial kind of service where everybody would come and talk to you like you were an old friend and it wasn't stiff at all, mm-hmm. that is huklig. Because a lot of times Danes would never, you know, they wouldn't say going to a fancy restaurant was huklig. It's more formal and that's not huklig. Huklig is very intimate.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I love that huklig is, um, And it, am I getting this right? Huga is the noun Huk-a. and then huklig is the adjective? Yeah. Okay. Alright. Yeah. So, okay, nice. I love that, you know, this is um, something new that we're seeing in restaurants where it's not always the case. Um, and uh, perhaps that has to do with something with the fact that, you know, Scandinavian food has really risen to the, the highest echelons of fine dining in the last uh, yeah. few decades. And at least when I was growing up, I didn't know much about the food of Scandinavia beyond the Swedish chef, which was <laughs> Jim Henson's yeah. character, um, which was kind of a joke. And then I knew there was herring and uh, maybe some potatoes but uh yeah Yeah. and now uh, you know everyone knows um this great cuisine of scandinavia um which is which is wonderful and um your books are a great uh entry into that and and how you can enjoy it at home no matter where you are and you don't have to be in a high-end restaurant to do that no um this book is such a, a personal book, and it's a lot more opinionated than your last, and I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I love that you talk Thank about you. Um, you know, why it's important to buy organic. Um, yeah, And it, I thought it was really interesting that you noted that when you eat and cook yourself, you're helping to further bio di- biodiversity because when you're cooking, yeah. you have to buy, well, you should be buying from a range of ingredients that you choose by the seasons, perhaps, um, instead of these processed foods, which are just going to be made around the year. Um, the same exact way and just furthering this uh, System of commodity commodity crops that is, um, you know, it's not really helping yeah. biodiversity at all So I thought that was a really great point um, Thank you.
4: Yeah, I think I think actually biodiversity should be on the plate and not in seed banks, you know mm-hmm. You know year-round which we, we we should make sure to eat as many different vegetables as possible, wherever we live, and of course as local as possible, mm-hmm. and um, and that's uh, and and actually we've been doing that in the Nordic countries for you know centuries. It's just only after the Second World War and we started having this huge you know things to choose from, and where there wasn't that great. Actually, the carrots and the root vegetables and the potatoes we grow. Taste a lot better here in the winter than all these weird things that get, you know, exported Imported. from around the world. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Having choice. I love that you write that, you know, having choice is great, but it's almost better to have a more limited choice because it's, it's easier to um, kind of enjoy cooking with. <laughs> I mean, I get yeah. overwhelmed too if I go to, let's say, a huge grocery store and just, just too many options. It's like, just show me a few things yeah. that are good right now and uh, I'll be much better off for it. So um, tell me a little bit more about, um, you know, Denmark is recognized um, in a lot of Scandinavian countries too um, for their incredible progress in food waste reduction. So um, there's recently some efforts that have led to a 25% reduction in food waste compared to five years ago in Denmark, and that's just, that's like, you know, something that U.S. has been grappling with you know, how are we going to do this? Um, how do you think, first of all, um, you know, does this tie into a sort of cultural sense throughout the country? And also, um, how, did you, how did you achieve that even with knowing, um, or does it go hand in hand?
4: Yeah, I think first of all, the whole there's been such an, such an emphasis on how how we cook and how we eat over the last twenty years. Of course, and there's been these you know political movements to um, force uh, you know uh, governments and you know regions to turn organic. So that's kind of been the first step of this whole okay. way of understanding the food chain. And then, of course, food waste. There's been some really, uh, really good campaigns about it, and Mm -hmm. a lot of talk about it because one thing, Danes hate to waste money, and uh, it is always when you go to Danish supermarkets there will be so many offers, you know. And we have this catalog that comes in, like you have the coupons. We have a catalog Mm -hmm. that comes in, the you know, to see what's on offer and on sale in the supermarket this week. So if you can convince a Dane that he can, you know, um, save some money. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to talk to them. <laughs> so there's been a lot of talk about, you know, how do you... Why would you... You know, food is money. Why would you want to throw it out? Mm-hmm. You know, why why don't we go back to understanding the way we lived, you know, when we couldn't afford to throw, throw the food out? That's a problem. You know, 50 years ago, nobody was throwing food out because they couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And so that was one, one, you know, a lot of, you could say, campaigning and... and but also some really interesting organizations. There was... Uh, uh, organizations where they sell the food that has been sold by date in the supermarket mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's one really big organization that collect a lot of food and give it to uh, people who are less fortunate so like homeless and uh, people who are on welfare mm-hmm. so they can come and pick up a box uh, every week of food which is fine but can't be sold in the supermarket anymore right and and i think i think i mean and tons of food is going to is is actually uh, you know moved through the system now, and um, and I and also, all of a sudden, the supermarkets they kind of saw that there was an opportunity here to um, sell things that was more that they didn't have to be so rigid about it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they have put in initiatives where they are longer sales sell by dates where the food is still fine because a lot of it I mean there's been a lot of discussion about why 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 are they why are they selling why can the milk only, you know, last for six days when it can yeah. actually last for ten days if it's put if it's in the right temperature and so on and so on. So you can say it's a lot of it's it's awareness, it's campaigning and it's you have to kind of really come up with the argument, not always about the climate and all the really valuable and political things, but money. money. You can actually save a lot of money if you look into this, your own money.
3: Right.
4: And uh, I know that works. <laughs> so,
3: <yeah. laughs> that's a good approach. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, you know, it's incredible um, how much can be done with a concerted, uh, I guess, movement or um, and uh, money too.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, you know a campaign also around that.
4: Sometimes mm-hmm. when things are really successful in Scandinavia, you have to remember we are very mm-hmm. small countries. Yeah. There's five point five million people in Denmark, there's four million in Norway and eight nine million in Sweden, you know. We are we are nations where it's very easy and much quicker to like talk to everybody mm-hmm. at once. You know, and so Therefore, we are, we are also good prototypes, you know, you could say for trying out how can things, uh, you know, work in, in, a, in a nice way.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a great lesson, though, and I think that, you know, it's, it's great to see the success happening. It's not impossible, yeah. though, um, you know, no. state by state, perhaps at a time. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. nothing is impossible.
4: I mean, if you can think it. You can do it, and then it can happen. I mean, that, that's kind of my, when it comes to the whole food chain and, and the problems we have, we could change them tomorrow if we wanted to. It's yeah. just, and, and actually, if you talk to the consumers, they have a lot of power and they should use it more, because mm-hmm. supermarkets will listen, because mm-hmm. supermarkets are depending on you. They want you to come into their shop and do, use your money. So if everybody's thinking about food waste, supermarkets are going to start doing yeah. something about it. Absolutely. If That is going to be the demand.
3: We got to get yeah. some we got to get louder then um, I love that yeah. you say you totally reject the notion that um, the world can 't be fed on organic and um, you know you totally believe that people will have one hundred percent organic or um, you know slow grown foods someday if we just keep if the trends continue um, as yeah. you mentioned uh, Denmark is increasing that supply due to demand and uh, how much of uh, Denmark's food would you say is organic at this point? It's such a small fraction. I think here. It's,
4: uh, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's 8%, but mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure, but it's up there. It's, it's, it's really growing fast. I mean, yeah. milk is really big, mm-hmm. and, um, and uh, vegetables, of course. A lot of the basic vegetables, are bread is becoming really a, a big commodity in organic produce as well, but it's really, really growing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a real um, there's not enough organic food actually. So there's mm-hmm. a campaign more or less to get more farmers to um to become organic. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it I mean I'm 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 in no doubt. I I I just don't think it makes sense that of course we can, you know, there's there's a natural system on this planet. And if we follow it with all the knowledge we have today and use technology, not talking about going back to agriculture with a horse, you know, know, it's not like that. Mm -hmm. Let's use whatever we know today. But, I mean, the UN has come up with reports that shows that we can feed a planet of so many people organically if we do it right and we don't waste food and we you know have a different supply chain and also a more fair way of um, of dividing the food and then of of course also when you talk about that you also have to talk about calories a lot of people get too many calories and a lot of people get too few calories and we also have to change that there's no reason to eat you know more than you actually need mm-hmm. and um so so there's a big shift and it, it it's a huge turnover but i you have to believe it i i'm it's if like i if i give up believing it mm-hmm. it's like it's like giving in giving in to mm-hmm. the but i you know i just really believe i don't want food with right. any chemicals on it i don't understand it why would i want that you know and it's
3: going to come back to bite us in other ways too i mean it's not like it's yeah. it's just going to disappear the chemicals they're in the ground they're in the people now and then you're going to have to pay oh health. yeah but you know yeah. We
4: have the Baltic Sea right out here, not far from Copenhagen, where I live. And when I was a little girl, there used to be a Baltic salmon; it was most um, lovely, lovely fish, and I really, you know, enjoyed it. There's no Baltic salmon left, and that's all Aww. because most of the Baltic Sea is dead because of, you know, of the residues from the out from the agriculture. So, Aww. I mean, these we had, it, it, and I, there's so much. Also, a lot of the illnesses we have. And there's so much we don't know, but there's right. also a lot that we know that allergies. I think should.
3: Mm-hmm. Sorry, say again. Oh, like allergies or something, and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, allergies.
4: Mm-hmm. But also, what about what about all these sicknesses
3: we get? Dementia.
4: Uh, what are, you know? Mm-hmm. Cancer. There's yeah, there's a lot of things that I think you know. Yeah. But also, the other really big thing and more positive thing is why shouldn't there be lots of people working in agriculture? It's, it, if we did it right, it could be a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. You know, nature and farming is actually, um, it's, it can be, it's hard work, of course, but it's also beautiful.
3: Well, maybe because they have to deal with uh, chemicals right in their faces. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's the, as it is now. Um, Oh, gosh, Katrina, so many things to talk about, but we're going to uh, come back to you in just a quick little commercial break.
1: New York chefs and restaurants are proud of the food they put on the table. And serving produce that comes from local, environmentally responsible farms is a way to leave an even better taste in everyone's mouth. So when shopping for your ingredients, look for the New York State Grown and Certified SEAL. It lets you know which food is grown right, right here in New York State, certifying the food that comes from local farms that meet a higher standard. You'll not only be serving local food, you'll be supporting local farmers. Learn more about the New York State Grown and Certified Program at certified.ny.gov.
3: Hey, hey, we're back chatting more with Trina Hahnemann. She is the author of the new cookbook, Scandinavian Comfort Food. And Trina, I, I guess I failed to mention you are the author of ten cookbooks in your native Danish, but only four of them are translated to English, which is why I thought there's only four, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've
4: I've written yeah, I've written yeah. a lot of cookbooks. Actually they're not translated. I I wrote them myself in English. So I've written five cookbooks in English and mm-hmm. eleven in Danish.
3: Wow. That's quite a yeah. that's quite a um, achievement. So um, but Thank yeah. you. <laughs> One is yeah. no. I'm I'm such a fan of um, um your cookbook, uh, Scandinavian cooking, or is it the food of Scandinavia? It's um the Scandinavian cookbook, the Scandinavian, Scandinavian first one cookbook. About, yeah? yeah, the first one yeah. Yeah. that I um I I shipped that one to the photographer of the food of Taiwan because I wanted him to do. I was like do. For Taiwan, what Trina has done, for um, you know the landscapes to capture that it is such a beautiful um, atmospheric book. So I thank you. Yeah, but I want it back though because I gave it to my photographer. Anyway, um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, but this book is really really wonderful. I love how you divide it into occasions for cooking, um, from the simple yeah. little meals that you enjoy throughout the day, um, any time of the day. And also for um, festive occasions like Easter or get-togethers and um, uh, desserts a little bit, too. So tell me, why did you decide to organize the book like this? And um, it's, it's quite unconventional, but it runs a whole gamut of recipes when you do it that way. Um, like I salads. Mean, as,
4: so as you, yeah, as you said in the beginning, this is, this is a really personal cookbook. Mm-hmm. This is not only a cookbook about my culture, it's also cookbook about how I live and Mm -hmm. how I cook and how I actually live in my kitchen which I feel I do Um, so I was thinking about it and and actually very few people I you know today kind of have that we don't have like only we cook these meals in the weekends and this is breakfast and it's much more open nowadays you know and and it comes with you know people's weird diets and you know all yeah. all the ways of interpreting what you would like to eat and you have the, kind of the whole world of eating on 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 your doorstep now because you're so inspired from the whole world. So I wanted, I just really wanted the book to reflect uh, how it goes on in my kitchen and and the first the first chapter I was thinking about the what I eat during the day is. Because I don't really eat breakfast anymore, I stop doing it after my children are not here anymore. And I don't have to cook them breakfast because I'm not hungry. And morning. probably because I eat so much at night. you know, during the day and <laughs> at even at night. Yeah. So I don't get hungry right away. So on some days, you know, it will be late before I feel like eating. And that's, that's the only kind of rule I have is don't eat if you're not hungry. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless there's an occasion and somebody puts something wonderful in front of you. But, you know, don't. Keep to the meals necessary we've been to- 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 told for years you know I have to eat three or six meals a day and all that mm-hmm. but I don't really believe that because yeah. if you're not hungry there's a reason you yeah. know your body probably don't need energy then, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. therefore and um, so and I thought and that gave me the inspiration to kind of thinking but how is it in my kitchen how could I define it and so I did it through the chapters
3: and your chapters and, and all the dishes are beautiful, colorful, and vibrant. I, and there's you know salads galore. I can see this really tying in with a lot of food trends. But um, you also reject, or you say that you're not a fan of um, many food trends and diets nope. as they come along. No, nope. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it just so happens, you know, when you eat within the seasons, and you eat mindfully, and you try a number of ingredients. Um, that it you know it turns out to be extremely healthful. Um, yeah. One thing I noticed is that there's a lot of one pot meals throughout here, and yeah. uh, that's that's really helpful for a home cook. I'm looking at one yeah. right now that is really interesting. I've never heard of it before. Um, it is you call it my favorite winter stew from childhood, labskavs. Yeah. Yeah, labskavs. <laughs> it's a yeah. mash cooked with meat and flavoring, served with chives and pickled beetroot. So it looks beautiful. So it's potato mash with um, some beef chuck steak. Yeah, all strown yeah. throughout. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> That's just so cozy. Yeah,
4: well, I mean, it's
3: really traditional Danish. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a,
4: yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so lovely in the winter. I mean, it's like it, it really warms you up. Uh, so and you I mean, right now it's really cold here, so you need that. Yeah. And um, and so, apart from it, you know, it. I mean, what I love about it is it kind of you know as soon as you, it's in the pot, it takes mm-hmm. care of itself, and then you can read the newspaper and have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but why not? It, it's also really tasty. Mm-hmm. But it, for me, it also is. You know, food is very emotional. Also, mm-hmm. so for this this uh, dish carries a lot of memories and you know my grandmother cooked it for me my mother cooked it for me and i've you know had it in lots of different occasions. so yeah. at, at the same time you know it's important it's an important part of my food culture and also one of the dishes that i hope will not disappear in this whole modern right. kind of you know young people cook you know or they all cook mexican or uh, thai or whatever they do here so you know kind of Showing them these are some of the really good dishes we have and I mm-hmm. think we can you can we can share with the world yeah
3: and keeping it real but also it looks just so fascinating I've never seen it in any you know uh, no. trendy sort of articles and so forth um, so that's cool um, I love that you have a, a good fish soup um, a recipe for that fish soup my classic way you call it and yeah. um yeah uh, you note that um, this recipe recalls a time that no longer exists. Um, if I can just continue, I'll just read your quote. Um, yeah. You write, In Scandinavia, famous artists would go to seaside hotels for fresh air and a change of scenery in society. The bourgeois nouveau riche needed a break from city life. In those times when we lived more according to Proust, a fish soup would li- like this would be served. Okay. So, that doesn't happen anymore, huh? That's a really interesting head note, too, for a recipe. Um, it looks like yeah. a delicious recipe, but that's also a really interesting slice of history and culture um, for Scandinavia. So, what? where do the bourgeois and nouveau riche go now, if not the <laughs> seaside? I think... I just think that I'm, I, what I
4: called, I kind of miss a little bit old Europe. I mean, mm, you know, if I can yeah. say that, it's like we have like so much going on, you know, with politically and, you know, things in the world that's not, I don't think it's very sophisticated, you know. Mm. You know, people, they used to be wealthy people who are very well read and, you know, they had manners and they did these things where, where there was like certain standards. Mm. So they would go and then there was this Lovely, lovely hotel in the in called Brøndams Hotel. It's it's still there. It's in the you can't go any more south in Denmark than there. It's called Skøn, and it's a beautiful, beautiful area. We have little yellow fishing houses. And there used to be a hundred years or oh, 130 years ago, there was a community of artists and writers and you know, painters and writers and composers who would meet up there and, and live there all through the summer. So and 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 the light up there is amazing. So if you're a painter, there's some really famous painters who comes from there, that from yeah. Denmark. So and they would go to this place, and fish soup would be one of the, you know, things that you would eat, whatever, whatever you know, fish was in season at that mm-hmm. time. So, mm-hmm. and I kind of, I don't know. Sometimes I just long for for you know something a bit more, I don't know, civilized. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. They, uh, people are no fun these days, huh? (laughs) And, and, um, uh, yeah, that just sounds so lovely. Um, and also, uh, this fish soup looks, um, quite, quite elaborate and beautiful. Um, but still very simple, you know, it's fish, it's four other ingredients, you know, maybe, um, some, some leeks and some other tasty stuff. So uh, I just love hearing, um, you know, your your takes on uh, the culture throughout here, um, along with uh, with your attitudes. On, and um, the Christmas dinner, I have to ask you how it was yeah. this year, because we just had Christmas and I'm reading this whole chapter about Christmas dinner at your house. And it looks absolutely yeah. Yeah. just so um, just so lovely and so fun, too. So yeah. how, um, how was your Christmas dinner this year? It was really good. Yeah. Actually, my yeah. children—they
4: my children are grown up. They—they so are, you know. But they said that they probably thought that the gravy was the best this year. The gravy. But they, I think mm-hmm. they say it every. Yeah, they say it Aww. every year. It's like, oh no, now, mom, it's better than ever. It's like, whoa. No, it was really delicious. I mean, I love this meal. It is so good. But it, I think part of it is also that you eat it one once a year, and mm-hmm. we don't we don't I don't touch it in you know any other day. And uh, so it's the whole basic is the duck, and of course mm-hmm. the caramel potatoes and the cabbage, and the, you know the different uh, vegetable dishes, and then the gravy. Mm-hmm. It has to be gravy. <laughs> and then, and uh, and and I enjoy cooking it. It's like a ritual, you know. Mm-hmm. I start the twenty second, and then I spend a lot of you know time in my kitchen, That's starting so with tea in the morning, yeah. and then of course after four o'clock it turns into drinks and red wine and. Mm-hmm. You know it is Christmas, and and I listen and, and I listen to a lot of radio. Actually, I li- listen to a lot of um, radio programs mm-hmm. while I cook. I love that. So oh, it's so. for me. It's like a it's a ritual every year. You know, I, I go into my kitchen and I kind of think about what I you know what, what the year was like, mm-hmm. and then I cook um, what I think is an amazing meal for the, my family and the people I love. So I I couldn't ac- actually ask for more. It's, yeah. That is for me the perfect That's great. Christmas.
3: Oh, wonderful. And I love how you have a suggestion for having um, um, a recipe for friends over for Christmas lunch, too. So that's just like another another layer to the, the rituals. That is yeah. a really great idea. And um, not to mention one of these recipes is uh, called juniper cured salmon. And uh, you said yeah. that's an all time Scandic classic Um it looks absolutely wonderful, but I've been using your recipe for citrus cured salmon from the Scandinavian yeah. cookbook for years because it is awesome. Yeah. It has taught me how to yeah. cure salmon, and I do it all the time now. So thank you.
4: <laughs> but I'm going to admit to you, Kathy, that the, the one with the citrus is the best. That is my signature salmon recipe, and it is amazing. And I, I agree with
3: you. Good to I know. I love it too. Thank Still, you very much for that I need- <laughs> honesty. I'm going to stick with yeah. it, but I'm going to try also the juniper. But I <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm. Oh, did you have that on Christmas?
4: Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. I actually, I did the, I did both because mm. we had a Christmas party, and then I did the 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 citrus one uh, for the family. So we were eating that all through the Christmas mm. days. My 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 daughter loves uh, that salmon with a horseradish cream and rye bread. Oh, That's yeah. just her favorite thing.
3: Oh my goodness. All right. Well, I'm gonna keep on carrying on your Christmas traditions, <laughs> as well as mine in my home, and I'm gonna keep on trying the to practice my my hygge, uh this yeah. winter for sure. Um, but it looks like that's about all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us from all the way in Copenhagen. Uh, I can't wait to share this book with more people. So everyone check out Scandinavian Comfort Food by Trina Hanuman. It is definitely, it's a huge book. It's only $35. It is beautiful. It is, pl- it's is—it's—it's just chock full of recipes. So um, a great, a great winter cookbook. And actually all year around. But thank you so much for sharing, Trina. Thank you so much for having me on and uh, happy winter. Thank you too. And thanks everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next year, next week on Heritage. <laughs> <laughs> on Eat Your Words.
4: Ooh, I like-